Hey, Podcast Brunch Club. A quick thanks to our organizational partners. Lentigua Williams & Company, the production team behind podcasts like Latina to Latina, 70 Million, and Feeling My Flow. Podchaser, the IMDb of podcasts that offers amazing search and list creation. Audioboom, a podcast network featuring funny, inspiring, entertaining, and thought-provoking podcasts. The Venn, which puts out a weekly playlist on the political issues surrounding the 2020 U.S. election. Critical Frequency, an all-women-owned and operated podcast network for independent creators and those who are often overlooked in mainstream media. And Listen Notes, a powerful podcast search engine that also offers list creation. Go find these companies. They are great for both content and discovery, and they support and give back to the listener community. If you're an individual or an organization and you want to support the amazing listener community that is Podcast Brunch Club, think about becoming a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash podcast brunch club. Hi, and welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. Podcast Brunch Club is like book club, but for podcasts. And this month, the theme of the listening list is secrets. We included four episodes on the podcast playlist, which you can find at podcastbrunchclub.com slash secrets. One of the episodes was the TED Radio Hour episode called Keeping Secrets. And one of the TED Talks featured was by Frank Warren, the founder of Post Secret. I am so lucky to have Frank here with me today. Welcome, Frank. It's great to be with you. So tell me a little bit about how Post Secret started. Something that I started doing just on the side, on weekends, after work, because my day job, it got kind of monotonous. I was doing a lot of copying of documents. And so I would pursue these little postcard prank projects. And Post Secret was the third one I did. And it just caught fire online and turned my life upside down. So tell me more about these two projects before Post Secret? I've always had this magical relationship with postcards ever since I was a boy. I remember in fifth grade, uh, the first time I went to sleepaway camp for a week, and before I left, my mom quickly gave me three self-addressed postcards to our home in North Hollywood, California, and said, if anything interesting happens at camp, be sure you write home about it, put it on the postcard. And a lot of, you know, crazy kid stuff happened at camp for sure. I didn't write home about any of it. But on the last day, I remember those postcards. And I quickly did jot down some messages and notes, and stuck it in the mailbox. Later, got on the bus and came back home. Forgot all about it. But a few days later, I was at the mailbox and I pulled out these postcards that were written by me. And I had this epiphany. I was thinking... Was I the same person who wrote this postcard as I am now reading it? What would I put on a postcard to my future self or to my past self? And so postcards for me have always been filled with wonder and possibility and connection and magic. Yeah. And when I get, started getting bored with my uh, business, Instant Information Systems, <laughs> doing a lot of copying in libraries in the nation's capital, I would pursue these little postcard prank projects on the side after work uh, on the weekends. And the first one was one uh, when I did in Paris, actually. The first time I went to Paris, uh, we landed. I went to uh, a touristy shop and bought three little Prince postcards, came to the hotel, 
I was there by myself for business. Mm -hmm. I put the postcards in my nightstand drawer and fell asleep. And I had this lucid dream. I had a dream in which I knew I was dreaming. And in my dream, I was in that room. And in my dream, I opened up the drawer and took out those three Little Prince postcards. And they looked different. Visually, they had been changed. There were messages on the back. And when I woke up from that dream, I tried to recreate the actual postcards as they had appeared in that dream. And that was the, the first postcard project I worked on. One of the messages, I, I, I think I can remember it, it said, unrecognized evidence of forgotten journeys unknowingly rediscovered. Hmm. And so this was more of a project for you, just like sort of an internal project, not necessarily making it public. Yeah. And the second one was like that too. It wasn't about trying to make a big impact. It was more about, uh, I've, I've thought about this since then. It was, I, I feel as though I was kind of going up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And in my own life, I had satisfied uh, my need for trust and security and financial security for my family. And then there were these new needs that started emerging, you know, uh, creativity and work, uh, finding meaning in life, uh, looking for a legacy. And so I was playing with those ideas. And I think that's really all it was. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about what comes next or what it could lead to. But the second postcard project I worked on, I created these kind of antique looking postcards that appear to have been mailed like decades ago in old Europe. And I put them in bottles. I connected it to uh, hmm. the, the Dadaist art movement. And I left these messages on the postcards. And I threw one of these bottles in uh, Clopper Lake, about a mile from where I live. It's actually the same park where they filmed Blair Witch Project. And every Sunday, I would create another one of these artifacts and throw it in the lake. And the project was called Reluctant Oracle. And every postcard had several messages on it, but the, the unifying message was um, a different idea from a reluctant oracle. So, for example, one message might be, why do you ask the question if you already know the answer? Or why do you think knowing the answer to your question will make any difference? And I did that every week for a year, 52 weeks, and the bottle started getting discovered. And it became a big news story in the Washington Post. It was the front page of the art section. API picked it up, UPI. There were several like television news stations that did remote broadcasts from the lake asking, you know, what do these bottles mean? <laughs> what's, what's the purpose? Who's doing this? And for me, that was the beauty of the project, how in this time and place where there's so little that's left mm -hmm. to wonder and mystery, everything is partisan and rational and in some ways depressing. That it was nice to create this story of wonder where people were like really curious about the mystery of these bottles. And then the last message I put on one of the postcards said, uh, you'll find your answer in the secrets of strangers. Mm. And that led me to the third mm. project, which was post hmm. So did you ever come clean? Did anybody ever? I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming I'm not the first person you've come clean to about <laughs> about you being the the person who started the yeah during the whole time I, I did not come clean and in fact the reporter who wrote the story for the Washington Post said it was the first time they had 
I don't know if they printed or had a relationship with someone that didn't give their identity since uh, Deep Throat. No. So I, I did kind of go deep under in telling the story of these vials. I don't know if he was being truthful with me or not, because that seems kind of absurd. But uh, <laughs> later on, I did, I did in some ways come out about that story. So we're not making any news no. here today, unfortunately. I, I, I'm not a breaking news journalist <laughs> anyway. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, but how long like after you got that coverage did you come clean? About a year or two. Yeah. It was definitely after Post Secret was going. Okay. Wow. And so Post Secret, you I saw your TED talk. I've seen you just got some coverage on CBS Morning News and right? Mm. And I'll I'll link all yeah. out to all of that on the show notes of the of this episode. But yeah. you and I know that you also speak on college campuses. And so at some point I remember hearing, I don't remember which of those things that I was watching, that you just went onto a corner in DC and just started handing out postcards. Is that how it started? It is. After work, I would drive to the dark streets of Washington, DC at night and solicit secrets from strangers. I had about three thousand self addressed postcards that were blank on one side. And I would had instructions on the other about sharing a secret that was true, decorating the card, and mailing it to me anonymously. And I would walk up to strangers and hand a postcard to them and say, Hi, my name's Frank, and I collect secrets. <laughs> Did you get a lot of funny looks? <laughs> I got a lot of different reactions. It was almost like a sociological test because different people would act differently, and then you'd start to notice patterns. One interesting effect is... If there was one person coming towards me, I knew they would interact with me one way or another. But if there were a group of people, like three or more people coming towards me, I did the exact same mm -hmm. thing. They could all kind of ignore me as though I was talking oh. to somebody else and walk past me as a group. Interesting. That yeah. is a good sociological study. Yeah. So why do you think it took off so much? Like what, what made it hit a chord? I think it intersected at a key time uh, in terms of the web. Uh, unlike today, in 2004, the web was like the wild, wild mm -hmm. west. And you'd go on stumbled upon and discover these cool new websites and everybody was doing something new and different, whether it was trading a paperclip, eventually getting a house, yes, I remember or that. having a million dollar page where people would pay you to advertise the pickles, pixels, you get a million. Just like every week, people, you'd, you'd go online, discover something and go, that's a crazy idea, but it worked. What's going to be the next yeah, crazy that's idea? True. So there was this kind of openness about the web that was thrilling. Everybody was looking for like, what's, what's, what's fascinating this week? And then coupling that was this idea of young people sharing more of themselves online in new and different ways. And in our culture in general, I think these institutions of con confidence were disappearing, whether it was uh, young people's relationship to the Catholic Church or therapy, moving from talk-based to pharmaceutical-based, or even the family, you know, divorcing and breaking up in larger numbers. So the, the internet, I think, just became this place where young people started sharing more of themselves and expressing their identity in new and exciting ways. Yeah. I mean, do you think at all that it has gone to the opposite extreme now that everybody's sharing everything on the internet, like everything on the internet, like what you ate for breakfast, what you ate for lunch, what, you, you know, like how many calories you consumed today and everything is so shared. Maybe, maybe. I, yeah. I think what the key component would be is the intent behind it. So I'm still fascinated by people who tell an amazing story or are coming from a place of 
of desperation or authenticity or surprising love, whatever it might be. But the cereal and the breakfast, I, I think the motives there might be a little bit suspect. In other words, so many have people have seen how sharing can be this currency when it's done with, with authenticity and genuineness and sincerity that they try and jump on that board. But I don't think that kind of sharing, I feel like it's kind of counterfeit. Yeah, it's bragging. Yeah, it's like putting on a costume to be to pretend like you're someone you're not when I think the kind of sharing that happens on Post Secret is about removing that mask and being vulnerable and showing courage and putting yourself out there. Right. But in a way that because it's anonymous, you feel like you can. So it's not as scary, maybe. And I was wondering if like you think that, you know, some of these secrets are really profound and maybe should be told, like if they have, you know, a secret is something that has never been told. So I don't think that once somebody shares it with post secret, that it's no longer a secret. But do you think that it ever is sort of like the gateway for people to tell the secret to the person that needs to know the secret? Mm. Yeah, I think post secret can be kind of this gateway. And in a lot of ways, it's subversive, because, you know, I, I would hand you a postcard in Washington, D.C. on the sidewalk, and you would maybe you take it thinking, well, I'm going to throw this away next week or when I get out of my car or whenever. But then you notice it kind of sticking around in your briefcase, in your purse, it's on the kitchen counter. And it, it becomes this placeholder for a secret, like mm-hmm. calling for your secret until maybe a secret emerges from your subconscious mm. and you end up putting it on the card. And you realize, hey, this postcard was a way, first of all, not for me to share my secret, but for me to come out to myself about this piece of who I am that I had buried for one reason or another. And then you can, you can, you know, choose the words to take ownership of that feeling of that experience. You can use uh, drawing, photograph, artwork to further convey the emotion that might be too difficult to mm-hmm. even put into words. And then you've got this artifact in your hand and you physically let it go to a stranger and you know, it's passing through strangers' hands as it, as it reaches my mailbox where it comes in contact with dozens and hundreds of other secrets that have come from all over the world independently, solo, but here they are as a collective, as a community in the mailbox. Mm-hmm. And then they get shared on the web. And yeah, I, I think that can be a first step in a much longer journey, mm-hmm. reconciling with that secret in a way that's healthy for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I know that you've put out a number of books, six, if I counted correctly. Six books, yeah. Yeah. And you've done museum exhibits. And I saw something about a music video that was done with. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about about the music video. (laughs) Uh, Dirty Little Secrets, actually, by the All-American Rejects, maybe a a dozen years ago, made with actual post-secret postcards. I talk about all the different ways post-secret has kind of found its way into new platforms, into new manifestations. I never mentioned the music video, but I I should. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just one of those things that I think is makes sense, but is also surprising and just kind of off the wall. The most gratifying part of the project now are the live events. Yeah. So tell us about that. I wanted to get back to that. So you're doing, are you touring a lot? There's one coming up in San Diego in conjunction with the Museum of Man post-secret art exhibit. And then they happen all over the Minneapolis, Connecticut, San Antonio, and at these live events, I, I share some of the most extraordinary secrets I've ever received, some that have 
changed lives, brought people together, caused the FBI to contact me. Oh I share gosh. some of my own secrets. Um, and then I, uh, it's a multimedia presentation. But for me, the most gratifying part of the night is at the end, if, if I've done everything right, my hope is that audience members will find the strength and bravery to come to a microphone and share their secret live, not anonymously, but in front of the audience, in front of their classmates. And what's really exciting is once one or two people do, and they see the warm, compassionate response of the audience, mm -hmm. just lines start forming at the microphones. Because people want to have these conversations, just like you've discovered through your project. People want to have authentic conversation about what they're really thinking and feeling. And does it is it just a line that forms and then you tell your secret and you sit down and there's no sort of follow-up or is there any sort of... That's a good question. Typically, there's two microphones. And just like on the website, when I used to post the postcards, I used to make a little commentary, share my two cents about what I thought, what I was feeling. And very soon online, I realized people did had no desire to know what I thought about the secrets. <laughs> it was really just these compelling stories on six inch by four inch postcards that people were fascinated with. And so at live events, I've had to learn too over time that in most cases, people don't want a response. They don't care what I think. And this is a lesson I've learned in other areas too. I was a volunteer on a suicide prevention hotline before I started Post Secret, essentially hearing people's secrets at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. And when you go through that training before you start answering the phone, the first thing they tell you is it's not your job to solve the call caller's problems mm -hmm. or make the perfect diagnosis or the perfect referral. You're basically there just to let that other person feel like they can talk about whatever they want to as long as they want to and that you care about what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I try and convey at the post-secret live events. In fact, when you when you volunteer on a suicide prevention hotline, they they tell you not to use your real name, and they, they tell you they kind of coach you into how to find your voice that's non-judgmental and compassionate and conveys empathy and active listening. And when I'm speaking at, at live events, I find myself falling into that same voice. Yeah. I feel like that's good training for everybody anyway. I feel like whether you volunteer on a su suicide prevention hotline or not, that probably would be some good information to have on how to how to do that, how to actively listen, how to be non, you know, listen without judging and all that stuff. I just think that would make us Well, um, I don't know why <laughs> most people better. join, but uh the reason I joined is because I, I felt like I was struggling emotionally and I felt a sense of loneliness and mm. I thought this is some action I can take to help others and maybe help myself in the process. And I can tell you, you, you won't meet better people than those folks who are volunteering for a suicide prevention hotline or a charity or some sort of nonprofit work. So it, it was one of the smartest decisions I've made in my life. And as you say, what I learned in that two-week training process didn't just serve the people I was talking to on the phone. It has served me and my friends and family throughout my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's it. I mean, that is um, important to feel like you have people around you who care about you and listen to you. And that's where I feel like community just sort of is such an important part of of everybody's life. And however you find it, 
it doesn't matter, right? Like if you do find it through church, if you do find it by sending in a secret, if you find it by participating in podcast brunch club, if you find it in like a thousand different ways, a, a thousand different little ways, you know, in your life. Um, I just think that's the part that is the most important. One of the most popular secrets I receive is from people who are searching for that one person or that one community, mm -hmm. their tribe, where they can be recognized and heard and feel a part of mm -hmm. something. That's a secret I see written dozens of different ways on postcards every week. But when you open up your home to the world's secrets, be prepared because in that group of a million postcards you're going to receive, some are going to be very heavy and troublesome yeah. and disturbing. And you got to be ready. So yeah, I received a postcard once that caused the FBI to contact me. I've received postcards from people who have talked about criminal activity. And in most cases, I share them. I don't feel like I should be censoring people's secrets. I feel like Post Secret is this, this clearinghouse for confessions. But there have been a few that I haven't shared. And I'll, I'll tell you one right now, actually. This was a postcard that arrived with a photograph of a family on it, a family portrait. And across the children's faces, the secret read, my brother doesn't realize it, but his father is not the same as our father. And looking at the mm -hmm. picture, you can kind of see the story playing out in that family. And that was a secret that I didn't doubt the truth of. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I had ownership of that secret to out that young man in a way that he might find harmful. Hmm. That's a that's a heavy load, I'm sure, to like just carry and just kind of even think through. It, it it's probably wasn't anticipated in the beginning when you were thinking about doing the project. Yeah, um, I feel very fortunate that so many people have trusted me with their secrets and stories. But it is true that you know most people when they have good news they they rush to Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> but it's the painful secrets from our life, our past, our families that. Uh, end up on postcards in many cases. So I, I do get a lot of heavy secrets That's true, yeah. uh, every day. I try and focus on hopefully the, the liberalization of letting your secret go and how that can be healthy and give people a voice and let other people know they're not alone with their secrets and stories. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that is something that I, I cling to. And then I also do a lot of like uh, physically draining exercise, which is my medicine. <laughs> so today, for example, I went for a uh, a twenty mile bike ride that had eighteen hundred feet of climbing here in California. Oh my goodness! <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I could see how that could help a lot. You get back from that, you're so exhausted, you can't carry any anxiety or dread. That's true. That's true. Now, do you um no you post the postcards on Sundays? That's still the case, right? Saturday nights and here on the West Coast, yeah. Yeah. And do you just sort of, I, I mean, you've received how many at this point? Over a million. Over a million. So at a certain point, I would have to do the math, how many how many Sundays have existed between now and 2004? Wow, I've never thought about that. So yeah. 17 times 52, what's that, close to yeah. 800? Yeah. So if you've gotten, let's see, what'd you say? 17 times 52, that's 884. And you're saying you got close to a million? Yeah. So I mean, I'm doing some math to find about 884. <laughs> that's 1,131 postcards a week. 
so how so you have to uh, you have to curate them right so like some of the postcards you've received haven't ended up on the on the blog oh yeah yeah not every postcard makes it in a book or uh, at an art exhibit or on the blog yeah. that's true and so is it is it just how do you do that well, every week I try and select secrets I've received recently. So when I post them on the web at postsecret.com, people are looking at, at living secrets, uh, stories that people are, are struggling with at that moment. Mm-hmm. And I try and select secrets that have that, that ring of truth and share something really unique that I haven't heard before or maybe express it in a new or different way. And then I try and also think of the, the composition of the secrets for that day. So there's about 10 that are new and there's some older ones that are the classic secrets. But for the new secrets, for those 10, I want to have a postcard that touches on kind of every human emotion. So one that's funny and erotic mm-hmm. and uh, a hidden act of kindness, something that's full of anguish or romantic, something shocking. Yeah. And then I weave them together in a way that hopefully reminds us of how we're all connected. And uh, sometimes you'll notice, too, that the last postcard is kind of tied to the first postcard. So there's this sense of a a cyclical story. And sometimes I use literary techniques to kind of call and respond to secret or like a setup and a punchline. Or sometimes I think of myself as like this film editor taking these individual like slides of people's inner lives and then connecting them in a way that reminds us of how we have so much in common. Yeah. Wow. I'll have to go back and look, keep an eye out for that. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you're very busy. I had one question that I wanted to kind of end with because I ask all of our guests this question and it's because, you know, we are always in Podcast Brunch Club sharing recommendations for podcasts. So I always like to ask our guests if they have a recommendation for our, our community. Yeah, I I have two. One is kind of a big name and one is a small one. Great. The the big name is the Malcolm Gladwell podcast, Revisionist History, especially the first couple of seasons. Yes. Uh, there are some authors who don't translate well from the written word to podcasting, and there are others that are just brilliant. Malcolm Gladwell is one. Michael Lewis is also really good, too. And then the small little podcast that I love, and they've been going on forever, I wonder if you've heard of it before. It's the only podcast that I support on Patreon. It's mm. Futility Closet. Oh, no, I haven't heard of it. Futility Closet is this husband and wife team who every couple of times a week, they chronicle a short story of amazing heroism or wonder or just something that makes you appreciate something strange that happened during World War II or in old England and they tell it uh, very well. And then they have um, a little puzzle at the end. It's very kind of compact and it, it's great just to kind of fit in 20 minutes of your day. Oh, perfect. I am going to subscribe to that right now. I already subscribed to revisionist history. It's great. Yeah. But I have not heard of the futility closet. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It has been really wonderful talking to you. Oh, it's been great chatting with you and talking about podcasts and authentic conversation. I appreciate what you do. And I think it's kind of an alignment where, where Post Secret has led me to. Yes. Maybe you'll start a podcast one day. Podcast Secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ring, rolls right off the tongue. You know, this podcast, there's still time for you to share your secret too. Oh, my secret. I was just thinking as you were talking about it, 
like, you know, you were saying that sort of it's a process of kind of even realizing you have a secret. Yeah. And I feel like that was, it was, it came to me like, I was like, I don't even know if I, I'm sure I have a secret, but I would really have to think about it. I don't have any big ones that are kind of just waiting. I think a lot of people feel that way, but I think that's a trick that we play on ourselves. Oh, yeah. That we, we do have things about ourselves, maybe a, a family experience or something growing up that mm-hmm. we don't think of as a secret, but we don't share it with people. We keep it private. We think about it in a different way. And so I think one of the powers of Post Secret is if you go to the Post Secret website or page through a Post Secret book, you eventually come across a secret that kind of articulates something you might be carrying in a way that you couldn't have said it any better yourself. And you realize, oh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think of this as a secret, but yeah, that's kind of what it is. Well, I'll tell you what, this is what I'm going to do then. I am sure I have a secret. I'm actually thinking of a couple right now, but because I can't be anonymous, I definitely don't think I'd want to share it. So I'm going to do, I'm going to send a postcard. In. I love it. Yeah. Thanks for your secret. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. We'll see you. Hey, Steve here from the Minneapolis PBC with a few credits. First off, please rate and review our podcast on your podcast player of choice. The music you heard today is downloaded from freemusicarchive.org. And this episode featured music from Chad Crouch with their song Rainbow. The ad music at the top of the show is from Ms. Algana with their song Paradise. Podcast Brunch Club is organized by a woman I can't praise enough, Adela. Sarah De Silva is our other podcast host, the leader of the Houston chapter of PBC, and the founder of Audible Feast. Thanks to Jenna Spinelli, leader of our online PBC chapter. She also writes many articles for the PBC website. Check them out. And thanks to Pia Piscatelli for all her hard work on our social media feeds. Lastly, audio editing is done by me, Steve Zampanti. You can connect with me on my website, conceptualpodcasting.com. Thanks, and happy listening! <laughs>